Good morning, Fairhill Church again. Uh, so we are continuing in our series, looking at the foundation of the church, the book of Acts, so that we might become a church that honors Jesus, that does what we're meant to be doing, and that uh, is proclaiming the name of Jesus. Now, last week, uh, the last two weeks, we've been talking about the, the mission, that we are on mission, we are given a mission as a church. We are not here for ourselves, we are here to, uh, with work to be done. And thankfully, we're given the power to do that by the Holy Spirit. We have the power to be on mission and to, for people to receive Jesus because uh, the Holy Spirit is working in them. And today, we're looking at the message, the specific message of the church. What are we going out to proclaim? Uh, what exactly is it supposed to look like? Um, now, I recognize that All right, we feel like All right, we already know this, but we have to be careful. Because we can, the slight changes, and uh, we're not proclaiming the same thing. Now, as we talk about this, uh, the message that we proclaim starts in our hearts. It starts in thinking about our lives and our story. That the message would first have reached us and been crystal clear to us in our hearts. And then we can proclaim that message to the world. But we do want to have kind of that, that single unity that we know what we're all about so we can proclaim that message together. And so uh, today we're looking at what that message is, which is to, to proclaim Jesus, to proclaim Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. That specific aspect of Jesus, which we call the gospel, the work that he has done to save us from our sins, to give us eternal life. And we're not just going to talk about that message, we're also going to talk about, okay, how do we give that in an effective way that people will receive it, that it, that it makes sense to them? And that's what we're going to talk about, how we're supposed to give that gospel of Jesus with proof, with conviction of sin, and with calls to repentance. Right? There's real action here. And there's things that we can do to make that gospel make sense and highlight what Jesus has done. And so we're going to talk about that message, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and how we can give it to people. Let's, look, let's turn to Acts 2, verses 22 through 41. So Acts 2, verses 42, 22 through 41. All right. This is the sermon of Peter, the very first sermon of the church, just after the, the coming of the Spirit. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he was at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let my, the Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say this to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him 
that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this twisted and crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message, the message of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Father, we ask that that message might first uh, strike our hearts, that we might be cut to the heart and we might run to Jesus. And then, Father, we ask that we would not stray from that gospel, that we would remain there and love this message, that it would be our hope and our life and that we would overflow in giving it to the world. Father, would you give us clarity in how we can give this message to the world in a way that is um, honoring to your name? Father, would this be a, a joyous um, gift that we give to a dying world? We pray in Jesus Christ's name. All right, so first off, we see the message, the message of uh, the church, that Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, that he came, that he is, this is, uh, so just so we have the context, okay, the Holy Spirit has empowered these people, he has given the Holy Spirit to Peter, and Peter, as the rock of the church, rises up and proclaims this gospel, the first sermon of the church, and how does it start off? Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the first word of the church. He is the beginning. And we proclaim our message is and will always be Jesus. The person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. But he goes on and says, okay, who is he? Who's he talking about when he's talking about this Jesus? He has a, a certain focus in mind. First, he talks about how this Jesus is the Messiah. He's clearly the one who has been chosen by God as evidenced. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So you don't get to just uh, stay on the sidelines with Jesus. This Jesus has come. He is clearly something special. And the demand is to do something with him. 
This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and delivered and killed by the hands of lawless men. So yes, Jesus came in power and then he was crucified and delivered up for sin. That he is the sin sacrifice. And finally, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This resurrected one. That he didn't just die for sin, he, he triumphed over sin and Satan and death forever as proven by his resurrection. Now does this message, what we call the gospel, the good news, gospel means good news if you don't know that, uh, that we proclaim this is the message. And it's not first and foremost a call to be a Christian, it's a call to believe that this happened in history, that Jesus came, that Jesus died for sins, and that Jesus rose from the dead. It is him in this work that we proclaim to the world. And that is, that is a joyous thing that we proclaim. How amazing that we get to proclaim Jesus Christ, God come to save his people, dying and, and offering himself and offering salvation by grace and faith. Not that we might earn it, but that we might freely accept it. That is the message of the church. And I hope that that's not surprising, that you know that that should be the message of the church and that, that it is the message of the church. All right, but we also recognize that that message can get easily lost. And so today we're going to talk about how, okay, why, why does it get lost so easily? What do we replace it with? What happens? All right, as we like to do, let's first point the finger at the other ones. Okay. Why do they, why do the people out there make it hard for us to proclaim Jesus? I think we have to be honest that the world doesn't necessarily want to hear about Jesus. Because Jesus is difficult. Probably he's difficult because he's actually kind of likable. And he's hard to refute. And he, he's done beautiful things. And there are stories that are, you cannot help but be drawn towards Jesus. And the world also knows that if they receive him as Savior, they receive him as Lord. And so there's a tendency to put up walls and barriers. And so you're going you're gonna to go with people and be like, I want to give him Jesus. And they're going to come back with things like, well, I don't know about how the church has, has handled itself throughout history. I don't, know if, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. Or things like, well, I don't know if I believe in organized religion you know, I don't know about denominations. I don't, uh, that's just kind of messy. What do you believe about sins A, B, C, or D? Questions like, well, I, I don't know if I can get behind some of the controversial things about what the church views about men and women or creation. Or... All right. We have an opportunity here. You have an opportunity to either... Get to Jesus or be entirely distracted from Jesus. And I think the tendency of, of us as a church is we get all excited. We, see, we hear, hear things like this and we say, I can talk about that. And we're all too eager. And when really, 
If we answer any of these questions head on, we're being distracted from the message. We're not supposed to be talking about these things. These are not the things that, that the people need. This is not salvation. As much as we like to talk about them, we need to talk about Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus. We need to, to sidestep a lot of these controversial things and get to the most controversial thing. Oh, wait, what about Jesus? Now, what does that look like? That's, that's the difference between saying, like, okay, you don't like organized religion or what the church, church has done through history. Well, thankfully, like, Christianity is not about people and the church first. It's about Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done, not what the church has done. And do you know what Jesus has done? Or we ask things like, well, what denomination are you? Well, honestly, I think the one thing that these denominations have in common is Jesus Christ. And that should be the first question. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about how you feel about him. Or when things come up about all the controversies and, and sins. And... Let's talk about Jesus. Everything else will start to, start to fall into place. And the first approach to Jesus is not, let's look at his platform and if we agree with him, it's, okay, is he savior? And then we... Then it changes the game entirely. All right, these are red herrings oftentimes. And we get all excited and start snapping up at them. All right, settle down. What is your mission? What is your message to talk about Jesus? It's actually harder to get to him. And, and people, people don't want to talk. It's uncomfortable. Because I think they know they're supposed to like him. And part of them kind of does, but part of them doesn't want to. All right. When we give people Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit's wheelhouse. He loves helping us talk about Jesus, not getting into controversies. All right, so that's the other people. Bad on them. Now let's look at ourselves. All right. Uh, what is wrong with us that we get off message? All right. We'll start with the, the trickiest and then get down to like the clearly missing the mark. All right. Uh, first, we might give the wrong Jesus. Now, I recognize that all Jesuses are one Jesus, but the gospel focuses on his coming, his death, and his, his resurrection. It's a specific aspect of, of what he's done, his death and resurrection for sinners. And we can think, hey, I'll give people Jesus. I'll give Jesus as Lord and you better obey him. You better have him as king or else you're doomed. All right, that's not the gospel message. As much as it's Jesus, it's, it's not the same. It's slightly different. Or maybe you, you want to talk about Jesus as creator. That he created, he, okay, yeah. By him, all things were created. But that's not saving anyone. And those slight twists, that, that's a very different message. All right, so there's the, the not-the-quite-right Jesus that we can give to people. All right, then there's the one step removed from Jesus. One step removed. Where we give people uh, other good things that seem linked to Jesus, but they're not quite the full thing. All right. Uh, my aunt. My aunt had this little dog. If you know me, you know how I feel about little dogs. 
Not a fan. All right. This little dog, this little dog would like bite at our dog, our nice big dog. Um, and it was a, a whole total terror. But like as soon as you, you noticed, what would it do? It would do this little thing where it like lifted up one leg and would like give you a cute look. And you wanted to slap that stupid dog. All right. Because you'd always do it. And, and all right. Oftentimes, we think that we need to give other people ourselves. And we're here to give this like beautiful picture of, look at me. And we put up our little paw and we say like, hey, want to become a Christian? Like, no, no, they don't. Because that wasn't the point. We're not supposed to become the savior. No one needs to be saved by us. We are not that impressive. And as much as we're connected to Christ, we don't give people our goodness and our show. Now, let's open it up a little bit. In the same way, we don't give people the church. We can talk about the church and how blessed we've been by the church, and it's a great group of people, and they're really nice, and the potlucks are fantastic. Uh, <laughs> all right. Still, what is the church? The church is okay at best. All right. And it's definitely a mixed bag. Why is the church so special? It's because we know about Jesus, not because we're amazing. And if we give people Jesus, they will tolerate the church in all of its messiness and all of its sin, but we're not promoting the church here. All right, another one step removed. Uh, there are blessings that come with Jesus. We are not out there proclaiming blessings. First, because... They're very fickle things. And there's not that many blessings that are promised. Most are eternal blessings. And so oftentimes we can be promising something that's never going to come to fruition. They need Jesus, the ultimate blessing. They don't need happiness and, and blessings in this life. Especially because we can't return on that promise. Likewise, we do not give people the law. The message is not the law. We're not, supposed to, we're not excited about, you know, this will, this will change your life. It'll shape who you are. That's a good thing. It can be good. Uh, but if you give people the law first, you're just condemning them. And if you give them the law without Jesus, that's, that's a cruel thing to do. Now, let's go down another step. All right. Sometimes we give people totally different messages. We're on a whole different team. All right, we can be political evangelists. And what are we evangelizing? We're evangelizing our, our opinions, our party, our political views. All right, we have to ask ourselves, why do we do that? When we have Jesus Christ, the message of an eternal Savior who's come with an everlasting kingdom, built on grace, received by faith, and yet here we are peddling our political views. All right, there's, no, there's no salvation in those. At best, they are temporal blessings that can kind of manipulate culture a little bit to get what we want out of them, but it's the wrong message. It's the wrong message. All right. Maybe we can, for those who aren't political, maybe you're, you're peddling culture. Culture or material, the things that, that have blessed you and the things that you enjoy, 
And you have to say, you know what, they're not Jesus. I like the new restaurant I went to better than I'm enjoying Jesus right now. That's going to come out. That's going to flow out and it's going to be totally obvious. We have to watch our hearts. Because our hearts will overflow with the things that they rejoice in. And now, analogy for this, analogy. Uh, all right, what should the church look like? The church could look like, like a choir. All singing together, and they're singing one song, which is Jesus. In the key of Jesus, about Jesus and his death and resurrection. All right, that's what we're singing. And then one person up here decides, you know what? I'm going to sing a different message. And what happens? Like that, that note, it like pierces through and like hits you like a spike. And it's, it's ugly and it, it doesn't work. And that's what happens when we mix our messages. And when suddenly the church is throwing up all of these diff, it's just chaos. And it's ugly. And it loses all of its allure. Not all of its allure. The Holy Spirit is powerful. But it, it looks very different. All right, we're going to be very direct here. Uh, when you post on your Facebook, here's Nancy Pelosi and a Gila monster, spot the difference. All right, that, that is a note. You are singing a note. What is it saying? Is it in harmony with the gospel? Is it in harmony with our message? No. All right, that kind of stuff and that's like, that one you all know is wrong, but some people still post them. I know you do, because I'm on Facebook. Um, all right, that kind of stuff. No, that's not the message. And you only get so much airtime. And you only get so many messages. And you only get so much credibility and so much hope and, and purpose to give to the world. And if that's what you're giving, it's wrong. It's the wrong message. We have eternal life with eternal consequences. And we have the one solution that would save people, and yet we're evangelizing them on other things. And that's a problem. That's a problem with our heart. That's a problem with our love for them. That's an anti-gospel. Now, there's one other way we can mess this up. We can mess up a lot of ways, can't we? Um, all right, I think of, uh, I had friends in marching band at, at UCLA, and what would happen is the conductor would have to go through, and he'd walk in front of every single person's instrument, because some people wouldn't play. They were just walking around, moving their fingers, and they weren't actually playing. And what happened to those kids? They were kicked off, because you're supposed to be playing. The reality is, I think the easiest thing to do is to just say nothing, to have no message. And we haven't joined in a chorus. Uh, we're, we're saying we're up here singing about Jesus, but we've never opened our mouth. Um, we are called to proclaim Jesus. There's great joy in proclaiming Jesus. That is the message of salvation. What Jesus has done is a joyful message that we get to share with the world. It's a hard message, but it's a joyful one. And I'd ask you, hey, what are you singing? What notes are you sounding and why? 
All right. Uh, all right, so I, I want to kind of work this as a practical thing uh, into testimonies. Testimonies are an important part of sharing our faith. Um, now, how might this change the way you do a testimony uh, and share your faith and talk about how you became a Christian? Because the way you think about your story is going to shape how you share it with others. All right. When you think about the story of your life and your salvation, does Jesus ever come up? Could you tell the story of becoming a Christian without mentioning the name of Jesus? If you can, it's not a Christian testimony. If it can go through without saying, I had to put faith in, my, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, if you can kind of pass over that and that's not an important part of it, it's not a Christian testimony. It didn't get to Jesus. And we'll, we'll be telling people to inviting them into the story of salvation and not giving them the, the key component. All right, now, now, uh, that is the message. We're shifting gears a little bit and saying, okay, how do we give this message in a way that's winsome? And it helps people understand who Jesus is and why we have the death and resurrection of Jesus. All right, the first thing that I think is, is helpful and should be part of how we give the gospel is with proof. With proof. Peter, Peter gives proof. Proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, why does he give proof? Because people don't usually raise from the dead. And the assumption is not that you should, well, everyone believes that. Uh, no, that doesn't happen that often. And if it did happen, and you're supposed to believe, not in the fantasy of it happening, but in the reality of it happening, there better be proof. Otherwise, it has no power. If it's a, a wish upon a star, then it has absolutely no power to save you. It has no power to change your life. It has no power to, to make you joyfully worshipful. And so Peter, Peter gives the, the proof in the form of, of David's psalms, King David. Now, why did he choose King David? Because the people liked King David. All right, it's because they, they were already into it. They loved King David. They wanted to celebrate King David. They all wanted King David's kingdom to come back. And what does he do? He takes that thing that they loved and the thing that they already believed in, and he twists it and he says, you know what? You realize he's dead, right? And yet, here's this one that he was actually talking about Jesus Christ who was resurrected, who did not perish, who did not corrupt, who, who escaped from Hades. David was in Jesus. A thousand years before, he knew about the resurrection of Jesus. It's right here. And you've actually believed it all along. He goes on to say that, uh, how does David talk about this? This Lord said to my Lord, and he's saying, well, wait, David must not be the ultimate Lord there. There must be this Lord who is given the throne, who's been lifted up. Oh, it's Jesus. He's proving to the, the Jewish people in the way that makes sense that Jesus is real and he really is resurrected. Now, when Paul goes to talk to the Greeks, does he mention King David? No. No because they don't know who King David is. They don't know who Yahweh is. They don't know who Jesus is. Uh, but he gives proof. He, he points to their, 
their Greek poetry that alludes to the concepts of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, an idol that is unnamed, and he says, you know what, this is actually the God that you worship. You've been failing to worship Jesus. All right, this is where I recognize some of you throw up your arms. And you say, well, if I have to come up with proof, then I can't share the gospel. If you don't have proof, you need to worry first for your own heart. Because your emotions can get you so far, but the proof that Christ has risen from the dead, that is stable ground. And if you don't have these things, you need, to, you need proof for your own heart first. And if I'm sending you out as the army to share your faith, you better be knocking down my door and making sure that you have ammo to go out there and asking, hey, I need proof. I need help. I need, to, I need some solid ground to give these people. They're asking questions. We need to answer them. Now, I recognize I can't give you all of the proof now. Um, we need to equip you to do that. But you also need to be hungry to be equipped. Now, some of the things, some of the things, um, some proofs. There's lots of them, and there's some that are going to strike a chord with you, and you're going to strike a chord with the people that you're talking to, or some. The stories that parallel Jesus in the Bible are astounding. And there's these beautiful versions of, like, allusions to the gospel, and they, they show that this has been the plan for thousands and thousands of years. There are prophecies, like the ones that, that Peter talks about, where thousands of years before, these things are, are talked about. Psalm 22, it's like the exact language of Jesus dying on the cross, and here it is. All right, maybe it's things like the, the history, for you history buffs, unlike me, um, that you're seeing the, the Jewish history, and all of a sudden, they said Jesus resurrected, and there's this huge explosion of activity, and all of these people are now worshiping Jesus Christ and proclaiming his name and saying he resurrected from the dead, and no one's able to refute it. That's evidence. All right, maybe it's, the, it's more personal, and it's the joy and the freedom and the fellowship that you have with Jesus Christ, and you can talk about it in a way that's, that's captivating and, and compelling. Maybe it looks like kind of more philosophical and you're looking at the pieces of the gospel and you're saying like, okay, I can see sin. I can see sin out in the world, yet I can see grace and goodness and, and beauty at the same time. And I can see how they've been blended and one is destroying the other. And I long for, for life and for goodness to win. And yet I recognize I am evil. And you're saying like, the gospel fits. The gospel fits perfectly into this world. And it's the most beautiful picture that I can think of of the lens by which to view the whole world. Right, maybe it looks like more of the science, the, the biblical accounts of people saying that they have seen Jesus and all of these testimonies piled on each other and the, the authenticity of the scriptures... All right. 
If you don't have these things at your fingertips, you need to. They will serve you for the rest of your life. Um, the question first service was, are we going to equip people to do this? And yes, yes, we need to. Hold me accountable to make sure that that happens. Yes? <laughs> Hold the session accountable. Uh, that needs to happen. You need to be equipped. You're not getting off hook. Amen? Amen. That was a passionate amen. Well done. Uh, <laughs> all right, proof. Uh, and that's where, as you think about your testimony, there should be proof in there. Why you came to faith. What was it that compelled you? Um, it should be there. All right, next, next. Uh, if you share with people that Jesus came to die for sin then there needs to be a conviction of sin. And that part of sharing the gospel is conviction of sin. Now, how did Peter do this? Um, Peter is talking to Jewish men and women, and he mentions the fact that, that God, he planned this from the very beginning. According to his definite purpose and foreknowledge, all of these came to pass. And by the way, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. All right, he could have left that bit out. Why did he not? Because that was reality, and they needed to see the fact that their sin was killing Jesus. That they had sinned against this one, that they had not received the prophet, that they, they had blood on their hands. And we all have blood on our hands. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Right, he's intentional to make them feel the weight of their sin. And the reality is that without, without that, no one needs a savior. They don't need Jesus. They don't need someone to die for them. That's an overreaction and part of sharing the gospel is helping them see. Now, I think the best way to do that is through your testimony, is sharing. Sharing how dead in sin you are. And you'll, you'll literally have people being like, well, you're not that bad. And you convince, no, I was dead in my transgressions. Memorize Romans 3. Like, no one is good. No, not one. No one is righteous. No one has ever been and, and never will be, and definitely not you. When Jesus himself says, like, you need to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Most people think they are good. Most people think that they're, they're doing a good job. And if anything, God would be happy with them. Now, I talked earlier about how you don't give people the law. You give the people the law... Uh, to break that lie, and then you give them Jesus. All right? The focus is not on the law. The focus is on the Jesus part, but sometimes you need the law to get them there. That's what the law is for. Um, now, in terms of your testimony, if in talking about your salvation and your faith, if you can talk about that without ever talking about sin... That's a weak testimony. It's a weak story. 
because it's not addressing the purpose behind what Jesus came. Now, I recognize that some of us have kind of more suffering-oriented stories. We say that, like, God, God met me in the midst of, of sorrow and suffering. All right, that's great. But it also needs to have this aspect that says, and I also realized that I was a sinner, first and foremost, and that for him to meet me in this way was, was totally grace, and I didn't even realize that I needed to be met with blood and with the cross. Right, if you leave that part out, Jesus didn't have to die. He didn't have to come as the crucified Savior. He could come as the, the bringer of comfort. And that's off message. That's not the message. That's not the hope that we give people. It's not the full story. And that's where some of our testimonies are like, our, the Father was gracious, was kind to me. Yeah, but he's most kind to you in the death and resurrection of, your son, of his son. And we're inviting people into that. They need to see. Now, is, what, what is going on here? I need shape, shape your hearts right now. Does convicting of sin seem mean? Does it seem mean? Does it seem cruel? Does it seem angry? All right, it is loving. It is loving to show people that they are dead in their transgressions. All right, the reality is, all right, people are running around with a beauty spot that they think looks cute. That's a melanoma that's going to kill them. <laughs> All right, they're thinking they're, they're sailing on their yacht. They're on a sinking ship. They think that they should go take a nap when their house is on fire. They need to jump out the window. All right, that's the level of, like, shaking people that they need, and that is loving to do that. People pleasers don't do that. People lovers do that. People who love people and want to see them saved do that. All right. Last, last. Uh, the gospel should come with an invitation to repent. An invitation to repent and receive Jesus. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? All right. Some of you actually think the answer that Peter should have given is hope that you have been chosen. All right? That hopefully the God of all eternity has predestined before all creation that you might be a son or a daughter. I hope you're one of them. All right. Or God already determined your actions. You're going to choose them or not. We'll see. All right. Don't do that. That's not helpful. That's not biblical. We don't say that. What does Peter say? He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. All right. 
He does not stop and question and say, well, if, if you're chosen, maybe. No, what does he say? Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Do you want Jesus? He's offering himself to you. He died for you. Do you want him? Will you receive him? Do you want life and grace and joy and all at the cost of faith? Or do you want sin and wrath and judgment for your failure to meet the law? That is a choice. Now sometimes, sometimes, maybe, maybe I haven't made this clear because I don't do altar calls very often. All right. If that has reinforced that you're not supposed to tell people to choose Jesus, uh, I, forgive me. I'll tell you right now, choose Jesus. Choose life over death. Choose faith over unbelief. Choose Jesus over wrath and the law. If you haven't made that decision, make that decision. This is eternal life. This is the only decision that matters in the scheme of things. And you have the power to make it right now. Now, I want you as the church to be able to say with that kind of authority that that is the reality. You don't need to question in the back of your mind if you're allowed to say that. You are allowed to say that and say it. Invite people to receive Jesus. Don't leave people with their hearts cut open and say, I I don't know, I can't help. (laughs) Because you can. All right, last part about testimonies. All right. Some of you, I've heard the language, I don't know, I've heard you say it, but uh, the language is like, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. That's not how it works. You choose to follow Jesus. You choose to believe this gospel or not. Some of you might not remember when you did that, but you did. And if you really have no idea when it happened, in your testimony, you should at least say, I don't remember when it happened, but... I know that I keep, need to keep making that decision because I'm a horrible sinner and desperately need Jesus and I can't just settle on tradition and that I've been raised in a Christian home. All right, that's, that's important. Because we don't want to communicate to the world out there that I was born a Christian and you weren't too bad for you. That's, what we, that's kind of what we imply instead of saying, you know what, make the decision. Choose Jesus, choose life, choose joy in the freedom that you have from the death and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? All right. Questions? Yeah, crucial, crucial. You just run up to people and say, Jesus died for you. Uh, <laughs> why? <laughs> okay. It uh, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that, that's a crucial part of it. And, and oftentimes that's the Holy, the Holy Spirit's power is needed to break people's blindness. And the word is often used to do that. Yeah. Right. Any other questions?
Let's pray. Um, Father, we ask that you might shape our hearts so that you would cut out of our lives the, the false gospels, the, the sour notes, the distractions from the message that we are bringing to the world, which is Jesus crucified and resurrected for sinners. Father, we ask that we might first embrace that message, that it would be our joy and our hope, that, Father, we are so tempted to, to look to other saviors and other joys when you will outlast them all, you will trump them all, you will blow all of the other joys and salvations out of the water. Father, would you make us as a church um, unified and clear, and would we sing the, the praises of Jesus and his death and resurrection loudly for the world to hear? Holy Spirit, would you go before us? Would you give us the words that we need? And Father, would you, uh, would you by your Spirit change hearts that they may receive Jesus in joy? We pray in his name. Amen. All right. Now we can stand and hear your benediction. From 2 Peter 3. Now, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. Go have a good week.